Good morning to one half of the greatest group of people in Michigan. This morning we're going to start off our study in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 and 38, if you'd like to turn over there. Matthew 23, 37 through 38. As you know, this last weekend I was in California. I preached for a couple different congregations on Sunday because I went on Saturday to preach the memorial service for Brother Paul Methvin, who is my personal mentor, who directed the Tahoe Family Encampment for, I think, 53 years before he passed the baton to me, and is just was a powerful influence in who I am. And, of course, it was a difficult service because of the closeness I felt with him and with his family through the years. But afterwards, as we shared a meal together, they had several tables out for display. They had some of the old programs from the Tahoe family encampment and pictures of him and his family and even some old pictures of, of myself and he and just all of us together. When our kids were little, it was a, a great, great thing to behold. But the thing that they had on display that impacted me the most was they had his Bible out. And this Bible was carried by a soldier of the cross for 60 years. Same Bible. And he had all these notes. I mean, as you flip through, the whole thing was colored like a rainbow because he had different highlighter colors and different pen colors as he had made notes. In fact, there were many pages where you had to look to find the, the text of Scripture because he'd made so many additional notes of his own. And it just impacted me about how very central to my mentor's life and work was the Word of God. How important to his life was his sword. And so as we consider that, I want to talk to you today about the importance of the Word of God. Because the truth is, is that there was a time in our country, in our culture, where the Word of God and its authority were absolute. In fact, if you go back 50 years in this nation, you're going to have differing beliefs about religion. But those differing beliefs about religion were differing beliefs about interpretation. In other words, you may look at a scripture one way and I may look at it another way. And so we would agree that either you're wrong and I'm right or I'm right and you're wrong or we're both wrong. But we couldn't both be right because the scriptures are always right. They are the absolute standard and moral authority for all of life. That's pretty much what was believed universally in the United States for years and years and years. But that's changing. In fact, it's changing rapidly. Indeed, the amount of people who look at the Bible as being authoritative, as the Word of God, as being the absolute guide to life and truth, is diminishing year by year by year. And that really shouldn't surprise us because of the fact that that's always been a tendency of mankind to reject and ignore the will of God. Now, the thing about the Bible is that we could even fall into the temptation of somehow revering the letters on the page as if the book itself were anything special. This book is special. It is revered, it is sacred, it is holy, only because it directs us to the will of God who is revered and holy and master of all things and should be first to us. You see, the Bible is just a conduit 
through which we connect to the will and instruction of our God, which is vital to relationship with him. Jesus said in John 14, you know, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, as he tells them what is the crux of life, what is the meaning of life, he says, you wandered these 40 years in the wilderness so that I could test you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep my commandments or not. You see, in order to keep the commandments, to please the Lord, to be everything he wants us to be, we have to know the commandments. And the only way we know the will of God is through the word of God. Folks, this is vitally important because let me tell you how much you know about God without the Bible. You thought I was going to say nothing, but no, you can know something. You can know that there is a God. That's what you can know through observation. But you don't know anything about him. Now, you may suspect, you may think, but you don't know anything about God apart from the Bible. You know that, you know, design demands a designer, but that doesn't tell you whether God is good or if he is evil. It doesn't tell you whether he is loving or malicious. Everything we know about him, therefore, everything we know about his will and what is required of us to please him and to be in relationship with him, we know through his will communicated in the word of God. It is vitally, vitally important. Yet mankind has long forgot it. Adam and Eve, he just gave them one thing not to do. They forgot. They chose not to follow his will. The Israelites in the desert, constantly disobeying his will. The period of the judges, when they'd go back and forth from captivity back to freedom, they'd repent and God would bring them back through another judge and then they'd fall away again. During the captivity We see this over and over. And in John chapter 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. God then sent His Word in the flesh, and mankind rejected Him as well. You see, it's nothing new that people reject the word of God. The very root of the problem in Israel, the very root of all their problems, why Jesus had to come, is because they rejected God's will. And that leads us to our text I mentioned a moment ago in Matthew chapter 23. It says in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And this is Jesus, as he looks down upon the city, he laments, he weeps for them, And he says, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I've wanted to gather you as children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you, you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Jesus says, the real problem with you, the children of Israel, oh, Jerusalem, is he says, you killed the prophets and those who were sent to you. And it's not The important part of it isn't that they killed those men. It's that they killed men who were the transmitters, the communicators of God's will. That's what prophets were. They were a living, breathing Bible. They shared with people what God's desire was. Therefore, just as we respect this book, because it communicates to us his will, 
They should have honored and revered and respected his prophets for the same reason. We look over in 2 Kings chapter 2. There's a super interesting text there. 2 Kings chapter 2, and we look in verse 23. It says that when he went up, this is talking about Elisha, from there to Bethel, he was going up on the road and some youths came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, go on up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Now, this is not an uncommon thing. You've had that a few times, I'm sure. A little by little. In fact, some folks at the memorial service looked at some old pictures of Paul and I, and they said, you haven't changed a bit, except you have a lot less hair. You know, we tease Kevin Nelms. I mean, he gets it all the time, I'm sure. Go on up, you bald head. Go on up, you bald head. It's not really a big deal, right? Young people tease. They joke. And sometimes they make fun of older people. But the response here is kind of severe. It says, so he turned around and he looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears, my mama always said, you don't mess with a she bear. I think she meant something different by that. But two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Mauled them. Why? Because they made fun of Elisha because he was bald. No, no, no. Elisha had just taken over the responsibility from Elijah. Remember, God called Elijah to heaven in a fiery chariot. And if you read the encounter between of that very day when that happened, uh, over and over, Elijah says to Elisha, I've got to go down to Jordan. And Elisha says, no, I'm going to go with you. And then he says, I've got to go here. No, I'm going to go with you. And between each encounter, people come out and say to Elisha, don't you know that the Lord's going to take him today? And Elisha says, I know. Keep silent. In other words, I know, but I don't want to hear it. I felt that way when my mentor left this world. And Elisha did as well. And so he's just taken over the responsibility. One of the things Paul Methuen was most concerned about in handing over the reins of that longtime ministry to me is that he wanted people to respect me like they've respected him. It's an issue. And that's what this is about. It's not because Elisha's bald, and it's not because these young people teased him. It's because he is now, now that Elijah is gone, Elisha is the word of God. He is the prophet. They're not disrespecting just an old bald man. They're disrespecting the will of God. That's the problem. And it's such a severe problem, especially at the very beginning of Elisha's ministry, that God deals with it harshly to make a point. My word needs to be revealed, and it needs to be revered. And so we see these examples all the way through Scripture. And in in this time in particular, as people are losing respect for the Bible, we need to be the people who exalt and lift up the word of God in respect and in adoration. We see that respect for God's word, it begins... With a respect for God Himself. I love Isaiah chapter 6, the story of uh, Isaiah as he encounters God in his throne room. And it tells us it's the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had been a good king for a long time. And now it's a very difficult time in the nation. And Elijah sees this scene in heaven. And it says that 
there's God on his throne and the seraphim, the angels are flying around the throne and they're singing a song that we still sing today. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. All the earth is filled with his glory. And upon seeing this, although Isaiah was perhaps the most righteous man of his time, he doesn't look at that and say, what an honor that I've gotten to witness this. God must think I'm doing well. God must think I'm special. No. It says he fell down on the ground and he cries out, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I've I live amongst a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And you'll remember the rest of the story. The angel goes and takes some tongs and takes a coal from the fire, touches it to Isaiah's lips. He's symbolically cleansed in that moment. And then God says, who will go for us? Who will I send? And Isaiah rises up and says, here am I, Lord. Send me. He's saying, send me. I will be your spokesman. But that began on his knees, humbled before the awesomeness of God. You see, Isaiah could respect, and Isaiah, history tells us, will be sawn in two by persecutors because he speaks boldly the word of God and that he's speaking his word even to those who are murdering him. How would he have such a, a great respect for the word? Because he'd seen God and he respected God. A respect for his word begins with a profound, profound respect for God himself. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, But we do see him who has been made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It says, just as Isaiah has seen into the throne room, so have we. Because you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've seen Jesus. And that should produce in us faith and respect. And that means if you've really seen God, you will re revere his word. Follow his word. Respect his word. You see, the word of God must be respected because the word of God is powerful. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 is where it talks about the word of God is like a double-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and marrow. The word of God can change people like nothing else can. It has power like nothing else in this entire world. Romans 1, 16 and 17, that's why Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. He said, I'll never be ashamed of the word of God. Never. Because the word of God is powerful. It can convict people like nothing else. I read of a, it's a story, I don't know if it's true or not, but of a missionary to China years ago. And you know, China is a notoriously difficult mission field because Confucianism and Buddhism and all of these Eastern mystic religions have had such a hold there for millennia. And he, so this missionary, his strategy was he had the Bible printed in Chinese and he would give it out freely. And he gave it to one Chinese man who brought it back a week later. And he said, I don't want your book anymore. And he asked him, he said, you didn't like it. Did you read? He said, oh, I read it. I read it a lot, but I didn't want it anymore because every time I read that book, it kicks me. And you know, I kind of understand that, don't you? Have you ever read the Word of God and you felt like it kicked you a little bit? 
One of the greatest compliments you can give a preacher is you stepped on my toes today, preacher. I guess you could say you kicked me today with the word of God because that's what it does. It convicts. It's not to be taken lightly. It's powerful. It's powerful. And so we respect the word of God because it can convict in a powerful, amazing way. And it's complete. It has everything we need. That text that was read for us moments ago, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfectly equipped unto every good work. It has everything we need. Peter will say it in 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. He says, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue. All things that pertain to life and godliness. But we also respect the word of God because in a world where everything changes, the word of God never changes. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says, For the grass withers, And the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. Oh, so many things change. Century follows century, but there it stands. Empires rise and empires fall and are forgotten, but there it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty. Nations rise and fall, but there it stands. Kings are crowned, kings are overthrown, but there it stands. Emperors decree its extermination, there it stands. Atheists rail against it, there it stands. Agnostics smile cynically and mock it, but there it stands. The profane, prayerless punsters characterize it. Characterize it. But there it stands. Unbelief abandons it. But there it stands. Higher critics deny its claim to inspiration. But there it stands. Evil men have burned it. But there it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. But there it stands. And modernism tries to explain it away. But there it stands. Ingersoll in his time held up a copy of the Bible and proclaimed in 15 years, I'll have this book in the morgue. 15 years from that day, Ingersoll's body was in the morgue. And the Bible was still being printed. Voltaire decreed. He said in a hundred years... The Bible would be outdated and forgotten and found only in museums. And amazingly, a hundred years from that day, Voltaire was dead and his house had been bought by the Geneva Bible Society and used to print Bibles. Because the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. It doesn't change. And that to me is maybe the most powerful and encouraging aspect of the word. 
Because I tell you, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. You did too. That, you know, remember in 1999 when they told us we needed to turn off our computers because everything was going to crash? Remember Y2K? Some of you are not old enough to remember this, but some, most of us are. And in Y2K, I mean, the computers were all supposed to go crazy when they had to change the date from 9s, 99, 98, 97 to 00. They didn't think computers could handle it. And the only thing I ever heard about happening is I think one guy had a bill at Blockbuster Video of like $48 million or some crazy thing like that. He didn't have to pay it. Hence, Blockbuster would still be open if he had, right? So he didn't have to pay it because all things change except the Bible. So it was going crazy. But we were sold this bill of goods. We drank the Kool-Aid. And they said, the internet's going to change everything. And it has changed a lot. But basically, it was presented that people are going to have more knowledge and more access to truth. And I'll tell you, the internet is very helpful. Lenore and I have sold our house here, and we've been buying a piece of property down there, and we've got some acreage, and it comes with a tractor. Just go ahead and laugh. Carrie Williams on a tractor. That's pretty funny. I have never operated a tractor in my life. But you know what? I'm going to pull up YouTube videos, how to operate a tractor. And I can learn how to do that. The internet has changed a lot of things for the better. But you see, they told us that now in the information age, people wouldn't be uninformed anymore. No, now people are misinformed. Uh, they are. We are. I mean, hence we have fake news. And that really is a true label. On both ends of the spectrum, I'm not speaking from liberal or conservative or Democrat or Republican. I mean in all across the spectrum. It's all propaganda. It is. From one perspective or another. It, and then the other side produces more propaganda to compete with the other side's propaganda, which produces more propaganda. Where do you get the truth in this world? But we live in the information age. We should be able to find the truth. The problem is, is that the same father, the same ruler is still ruling the world with the internet. And he is the devil, the father of lies. You know what the internet has given us? Innumerable lies. And more means of transmission of lie. Truth, yes, it could be used to transmit truth. But that's not the world we live in, folks. We don't live in a world of truth. We live in a world of lies. Praise God, we have some truth. The truth that never changes. The grass withers. The flowers fade. The governments change. Technology evolves. Put anything you want there. But the word of God will stand forever. That's why now more than in any other time, we need to call people back to the simple truth that truth is found in the Word of God. Respect for the Word manifests itself in our lives in many ways. First of all, if we respect the Word of God, we're going to leave it alone. Revelation 22 says, you know, if, if any man adds to this book or takes away from the words to this book, there'll be 
dire consequences. The reason is, is that how dare I ever, how dare any man ever have the arrogance to think that he can be an editor to the writings and the words of God? Not everybody's going to like what's written in the word of God. Society's not always going to like what's written in the word of God. The truth is, I might not even like everything that's written in the word of God, but that doesn't change it. The word of God doesn't change. And if we're going to respect it, we have to leave it alone and let it be what it is. Respect means that we study it, that we devote ourselves to know it. 2 Timothy 2.15, study, be diligent to show yourself approved. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And respect, Jude 3 says, contend earnestly for the faith. We defend it. We stand up for it. But most of all, it means that we cherish it. We live in a world of lies and this is truth. Why would anything be more precious to us in all the world? I love Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, where the psalmist writes some of the most powerful words about the Word of God. As he says, how can the young cleanse their hearts, their way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your words I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimony as much as in all riches. I will mediate, meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let us always be a people who cherish the word of God, the truth. Let us be a people who delight in his perfect will. This morning, as you look at your own life, perhaps there's a change that needs to be made. Perhaps in some area of your life, you're living in rebellion to what you know God wants as revealed in his word. Or perhaps you just want to say, Lord, I... I want to be more devoted in 2020 to your will than ever I have before. Take heart. The word doesn't change. It's always there. Like a rock. The world is shifting sands. It changes today. I mean, you never know what lies are going to be told. But if you get tired of the lie, Just open up the truth. You need to come today. Come right now as we stand and as we sing.